It's the Alexandra and Friends podcast, and we're covering the everyday issues of life, health, and wealth. And as always, we have a great panel of experts with us. Here is your host, Alexandra Fincher. You're listening to Alexandra and Friends 660 The Answer. This show is brought to you by Miller Title, Roberto Perez. If you are looking for where to close your next future home, call Alexandra. But otherwise, call Roberto Perez at Miller Title and make sure that you bring your closing papers to the title company. Well, Courtney, what do you think? We, we've we got a full house here. I'm so glad Vee's here. I know. Yeah, I'm here. I, I hated that Roberto was warming her chair the other day, you know, and, and I'm telling you about warming it. It was warming. He brought his, <laughs> his, his sunglasses for his, because of his party. He partied yeah. the night before for his birthday. Well, he's the boss. He brought the I mean, coffee. He had. A, I mean, he was. Uh, he, he was good. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> he did a great show. Well, I want to hear more about your guest. Well, it's it's Alexander and Friends guest, right? So when we talk about, so he's our guest. She's our guest today. Well, Catherine, welcome to Alexander and Friends. Thank you for being here today. And you were here so early. I was afraid you, you know, that you were going to leave because you'd been waiting five minutes before I got here. <laughs> so, Catherine, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us what who you are and wh- why you're here, and what uh, what is the adventure of your coming? Uh, what are you going to do next after you uh, finish your detective work? Oh, retire. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, you know, I'm a public speaker on uh, many subjects because I have been allowed to live a life. Or I've been through a lot of things. And I believe that I, I'm a Christian and my faith tell, has always shown me that there is always a reason why you're allowed to go through things because it can turn around and benefit someone else in the long run. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do a lot of the things that I do. I started off as an adopted child. I was adopted at birth. It was a private adoption. And since I, I have later I learned who my birth mother was and those siblings. And now just recently I learned who my birth father was and in learning who the father was, I was really kind of disappointed, but that was just recent. It's not always who you think or who in your imagination, who it's going to be. And not like I needed to know the father was really in search of siblings. And I found out I have a whole bunch of other siblings um, really you know, kind of surprised to find out out of both sides, there are nine extra children who are half siblings to me. Were those, were your birth parents, did they stay together and have? They were never married. Okay. Never married at all. So part of the problem was they were both very young Mm -hmm. and uh, especially the birth mother and her mother wasn't going to see her, you know, trying to raise a child at the age that she was. And so um, the mother knew somebody who knew my parents uh, weren't able to have children, so she arranged everything. And they were told, my parents were told, that um, it was a local person. And But the story was, was that um, the birth father was Chilean, and um, that birth mother was told that I was going to be adopted overseas. And that she would never see me again. So it was quite surprising when I found her later on. I went to that person who was the uh, common denominator. And with my parents' blessings, um, found out who she was. And uh, we do have a, a good relationship. Um, 
and the sisters and and I had a brother he are, his already passed away but um it was really nice to get to meet like I never had a sister and so I ha- I have a couple and um we're not like close close like like family that you're raised with you know they say blood is thicker than water but that's not true right you know the the blood only matters if you're raised in the same home with them to know them um we're raised on totally different backgrounds Catherine, and a lot of things just don't, don't mesh as well. They like, don't really understand you as much. Catherine, I have a question. How old were you when you were adopted? At birth. At, yeah, birth. at birth. birth. Yeah. And how was your life through the, uh, when did you find out that you were adopted? You know, I'm really glad that my dad and mother felt it was necessary to tell us my brother, my brother was also adopted, but he, we were adopted a month apart. They knew I was coming, but they had been to Edna Gladney and they were told it might be two years. And in July, they get this call. Hey, uh, we have we have your baby. And they're like, we have a girl coming or we have another baby coming in August. So but we want two children. So this is awesome. So they adopt him in July and I'm born in August. And so they had two babies within a month of each other. Wow. So we're raised like twins. So my parents decided that we should know just in case things happen. Um, we should know that we're both adopted. But how my dad presented it always made me feel extremely proud that I was adopted. I never felt like it was second rate. He told me that he and my mother went to the hospital. They saw, saw all these cute little babies. And my dad said, I want that one right there. Wow. And that always made me feel special because he thought my dark hair and my dark chocolate eyes uh, were so cute. And he just thought I was the cutest thing in the world and wanted me. And that just made me feel on top of the world. That's awesome. Wow. So tell us, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up, I was adopted out of Waco, but I grew up in a little town called, well, for a few years in Carrollton, but like, that was before I went into school. So I went the first six years of my school life in Troy, Texas, which is in between Temple and Waco. So a very, very small town. And then my parents divorced at age 12. Aww. And that was, I mean, things weren't so great for me up until that date. But when my parents divorced, I was really hoping I would get to live with my dad because my mother had some mental issues and he didn't know it. No, no one really knew it until the babies came. Um, she clung to my brother because of her own son being taken away much, you know, in the past. And she couldn't love but one person at a time. And she told me she didn't love me. She physically abused me severely. I mean, I have a scar on my head from being hit in the head with a, a block of wood. And, and she did many, many mean things to me. Uh, and I'll say one of the one of the worst that marks my memory severely is I was about three years old. And, you know, three year olds, they might have an accident, a potty accident. And this day I had a potty accident. And she took me into the bathroom and she made me eat it. Oh, and my goodness. And it, it was it was so awful. And 
I, I knew when she did stuff like that to me that she didn't love me. But when she told me out of her own mouth when I was uh, nine years old, you know, that I guess was a big scar. The emotional scars are far worse than any physical scars. Mm-hmm. And um, so when they divorced, I really thought I'd get to live with my dad. But she and dad thought about it and they decided that because us kids fought like cats and dogs, they felt it was best if one went with one parent and one went with the other. And I thought, great, he'll go with mother. I'll go with dad. Life will be awesome. But my, they gave Bud first choice. And Bud decided that because he was 12, he was going to become a man. He felt like he should be with his father so he could learn how to be a well, man. So, Catherine, what, uh, what, was your, what was it like when you were separated? Was, was, were you staying with your mother? What were the issues? I read your book, and you have an, an amazing life where you went through so many things. What yeah, happened? My, my mother and dad divorced because she decided she wanted to start drinking alcohol and having parties at the house. And my dad's like, no, we're not living that kind of a lifestyle. And she became a, a, a severe alcoholic. And she married alcoholics. I mean, the first man that she married, um, she wasn't down that road so deeply yet. Um, and the man was an alcoholic, but he was actually a pedophile. And she didn't know it until after she married him. Within the first 30 days, she noticed his coming on to me. And thankfully, she realized what was happening and she got rid of him. Um, But then she marries this other man um, who was a severe alcoholic and very abusive. They nearly killed each other several times from the things that he would do to her. Um, There was a time where she took a whole bunch of drugs and overdosed. I called. I'm the one he didn't call. I called for the ambulance, called my aunt, called an ambulance tried to take care of her, saved her life. And when I came down the hall at the hospital to see her, she, she was mad at me and said she hated me. Why, how did it get to the point where dad didn't step in and say, this is not the best environment for her to have you there? Like what happened with that? Why did they, we moved, we moved, my dad moved, uh, into Waco. Um, he was a truck driver. Mm -hmm. And so he and Bud were in Waco and my aunt kind of helped him take care of a Bud while he was on the road, he was like always gone during the week, home on the weekends. And he didn't know all the stuff that was going on. He only had visits with me in the summers. So he didn't know stuff like this was happening. Well, and we need to think that back then you don't have Facebook and cell phones that you can just text and say, help. Can you yeah. help me here? Oh, yeah. You know, there is no all the communication. And the and the only communication was if he called her and she would answer his call. So, yeah. He didn't have that much communication with me. So um, when he did get to see me for the first summer, that's when I told him some of the things that were happening. And that's when he wanted to get me. But he knew the court orders were such that unless she agreed to give me to him, he knew it was going to be tough to fight. So um, she, this guy that she had married, he... She finally decided to go into a a mental health home or a mental health hospital to deal with her alcoholism because she was passed out drunk. I mean, so many times, especially when he tried to kill her, she was out for like a week. They had decided to put me into a girl's home. Mm. And I was in this girl's home for several months. And 
they put me in there because when my aunt had come, I stole five dollars from her. And my mother couldn't believe I, I, I got money out of her purse because I, I was never given anything. I worked, but I couldn't have money to like go to the store to go do anything with my friends. And I saw it as this opportunity that they wouldn't miss. It. It's only five dollars. But she thought it was the worst thing in the world and thought you need to go to a girl's home. How old so, were you at that? This time? I was 12. I was oh. still 12. Mm-hmm. So I was in this girl's home for three or four months. I became suicidal because I was the youngest out of all the girls in the girl's home and I got picked on a lot. And I had also had a boyfriend who was 17 years old. He and he wanted me because he thought I would be easy to, you know, for sexual (laughs) favors. And when I didn't comply, then he broke up with me. And and I, I was going through so much rejection all at one time that I couldn't handle it. And that's when I became suicidal. So the, this, the child, it wasn't Child Protective Services, but I had a an assigned uh, counselor who decided to put me into a foster home. In the foster home, I was placed into a Mormon home where I was the oldest of now six other children. And um, that was the worst thing that they could have ever done because an abused child doesn't know how to deal with things. And I, I could have kill their their baby because I couldn't deal with crying. I was never around it. I was beaten all my life. And I thought this is the way you deal with things. And I just praise the Lord that I never hurt that child. But I, I called my mother back, begged her, please let me come back. I promise I'll be good. And she let me out. You're listening but, to Alexander Friends 660, The Answer. We're having a tremendous conversation and journey with um, our guest of guest today is Catherine Smith. You're making me cry. Let, let's break right here. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Alexander, Alexander and Friends 660. And you can check us out on Facebook, Alexander and Friends 660. Shoot us an email, Alexander and Friends 660 at gmail.com. We are here today with our guest speaker, Catherine Smith-Torres, who is an amazing uh, private investigator now, a businesswoman, and a public speaker, and a child advocate. And Courtney is back, and so is, oh, I'm sorry, V's back, and I'm Courtney's back. here. So I was afraid Courtney was not going to be here today. So I don't know why you would have thought that. Well, I guess because I don't know, just because I'm in that that mode, you know, today. <laughs> I'm in spring spring break mode. So, Catherine, uh, on the last segment, you were telling us that you called your mom and said, "Take me back." And then what happened? Well, she allowed me to come back, and thankfully, uh, things got much worse for her. But she realized that. I needed to go live with my dad and she let me go live with my dad. And I was so excited because he had met this new woman. I thought, oh, my goodness, she loves me. She's just this amazing woman to find out within just a few months after I moved in that she uh, also had some mental health issues. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and she was extremely abusive. Although she loved me, she she still had problems. Um, she always felt like she needed people's approval and when I didn't meet certain expectations or would embarrass her for her friends at church that they, she wanted all of them to think she was this awesome woman and she was extremely talented. But I, I later learned she was bipolar. She never knew it. She was never diagnosed. But a psychologist who knew her extremely well knew that she had all the earmarks of being bipolar and uh, she was extremely abusive. I mean, she um she beat the crud out of me on many occasions, um, belt from head to toe, 
all over my body. Um, but my dad didn't know about this because my dad was a truck driver. He would be gone on during the week and home on the weekends. And finally, one day she was beating my brother. He had braces and she was slugging him in the face. And I ran, told my dad, help, help. She's going to kill him. And he comes running in. And that's when he grabbed her, threw her up against the wall, pinned her in. Said, don't you ever touch my kids like this. And I, I had a, the same doctor who knew she had these issues. He begged my dad, please let me let me take your daughter. Let her live with me because he saw me at my eighth grade graduation with a bloody nose and bloody lip. And I was giving co- closing prayer. He saw what, how she slugged me in the face mm. and that really troubled him. But at least I had somebody I could go to to talk because Dr. Burgess and his wife, they had two sons that were our age and we were always hanging out together At least I knew I had someone to go to. And finally, one day the Lord helped me to have the sense to call the 911 hotline to turn her in anonymously. And when they came and they told her that they had a call that she had abused her children, she stopped abusing us. She didn't stop being kind of wild and crazy, screaming and all the other antics, but she stopped hitting us. It scared her that bad. So... Thankfully, that stopped. And but, you know, when you've lived a life where you've gone through so much and faced so much rejection and you you don't really know who you are and you just want to be loved. And one of the sick things about my mother who adopted me, she did not want my dad to. She never allowed him to let me sit in his lap for him to, you know, kiss on me, give me affection. I was never, ever dealt affection as a child. And when you're not touched and handled as a child, emotionally, there's something wrong. You're missing a huge link. And I never knew that. But I, I was looking for love in all the wrong places because it's a need. It's not a want. It's a need. And mm-hmm. if it's not filled, you're going to find it. But there's bad people out there. Well, I'm not saying my first husband was bad, but he's definitely was not a good choice for me. And he later went down his road of drugs and alcohol later but initially um we married we had three kids we had started our own janitorial business we had a huge alpha and omega janitorial service of fort worth and but i'm the one who who knew how to market it and make it what it was we were one of the most um uh greatest competition for others in the market and um But his alcohol and abuse led to our demise. I was abused a couple of times when his alcohol and drugs got going real bad. I had become a cop, and that really bothered him, made him feel small. Um, It was the one thing he did for me, though, was to allow me to go to police academy. And how, when, and why you decided to be a cop? You know I just felt this burden inside. And I really know now that was the Lord. The Lord wanted me to get into this career because he knew the things I'd been through. I was the perfect person to help others, especially children. So um, I was really surprised. He finally let me go to the police academy. I'd prayed. I'd asked for the miracles and confirmation. Is this what I'm really supposed to do? And the Lord just showed me, helped me pass the physical agility test to climb the six foot wall that I, I was not able to do except the day I got tested. So I knew the Lord had just laid all these miracles out for me to do it. But the Lord gives you the burdens 
to do things that he wants you to do. He'll put all that inside of you. So I became a law enforcement officer and then he went off this dark path. And one morning I woke up facing my own gun. And when I looked at my own gun, I tried to go call 911. He jerked the phone out of my hand, jerked it out of the wall. Thank goodness the neighbor next door was also a cop. He was a Dallas cop. I ran next door in my nightgown um, for help. My children are hearing and seeing all the screaming and everything going on. Um, I wound up in a women's shelter um, with my three kids to get away from him. I went back three different times believing that he would change just like every other abused woman because I didn't believe in divorce. I really believed God would do this miracle and help him to turn around. Well, the Lord will only help those who want to help themselves. And finally, the Lord showed me a very clear sign that this is what I had to do to protect my children was to leave him. And um, we went through the divorce and I was blessed to marry a man who actually thought it was awesome that I was the mother of three kids and he was not afraid to be their father. And he was a great father. He initially things were incredible for the many, many years of our marriage, but I never recognized that he had some real self-esteem problems and he's the one who pushed me to not just be a little patrol officer and a dare officer, which is drug abuse resistance education. He wanted me to work harder to become more, you know, why, why can't you be a sergeant or something like that? So an opportunity came up for me to uh, take a leadership command college to become the police captain at the school district police. I'd been municipal police for years. I started off in um, Grand Prairie police for two and a half years as a reserve. Then I was in Everman for nine and a half years as a patrol officer and also worked criminal investigations while I was pregnant um, and did a lot of school resource work and dare officer work. And a position came open in White Settlement ISD to be their school resource officer. I took that and I was there for for four five years and became the police captain. And because of this leadership command college training I went through, that's what you take if you want to become a police chief. So I thought about it. I really felt the burden that I wanted. I wanted to to lead a police department the way a police department should be led and not just give favors to your favorite guys and, you know, treat the other people, you know, less than what you treat your nice, your, your, your guys that you like. And I took over first woman police chief that all these guys had ever had. And I was there for, for four years at Cockrell Hill and I'm very proud of the work that I did. And I've had many of those officers tell me, you're the best police chief I ever had. You gave me a desire to be a real cop. I had everything about community policing to how to bring that community together. Because Cockrell Hill was 85% Hispanic. They didn't really like their police department. So it was a great challenge to get them to embrace our cops. Catherine, real quick. What it, would you say that going to become a police officer was part of your life to bring some strength and some, uh, you were being abused so much when you were a kid, you were growing up, you'd gone through sexual abuse, you've gone through tragedies. Do you think being a police officer made you uh, bring maybe the law back to you and maybe know that you were able to control something you couldn't control before? 
I don't I know that there wasn't any motives that I knew of to do that. I firmly believe that it was I wanted to help kids. I wanted to help kids who had gone through abuse. I wanted to help kids because during my teenage years from age 12 to 17, I was a runaway. I got kicked out of a couple of private schools. I mean, I, I wasn't the best kid for a while. But I knew if I had if I had gone through all this stuff, I knew I had something to give that was valuable and I wanted to serve. That was the only reason I just wanted to serve others. And a lot of police officers, you know, get in because they want to serve and protect. Mm-hmm. But sometimes along the way, not it, just a few of them get very um, badge heavy, you know, where their badge becomes who they really are instead mm-hmm. of remembering that people um except for the grace of God, there go I, that they could be the same thing as these people that they're facing out on the street. And um, a lot of a lot of officers kind of get lost in reality of what life is all about. And I could say I never got lost. Even as a police chief, I, I knew that even if it, a person murdered someone, we don't know the walk that they went through to get to the point where they would make those horrible choices. And having compassion helps you to be more objective and knowing how to be a better law enforcement officer. Not that not that you doubt, you know, if you have to take a shot at someone and you're in a situation, well, do should I shoot them? Should I not? No, that's not where it happens. It happens in how how to better serve a community. Catherine. So I had those aspects um, inside that just had to come out. Catherine. I know that you have written an amazing book because I've <clears throat> I've read it and I've cried. From tragedy tragedy to triumph, are you um, planning on writing another book? And can you tell us a little bit about this book you wrote about and why you wrote it? I wrote the book because I've done a lot of public speaking, and when people, this one guy heard my story, said, "I I want to write your book." Oh my goodness, this is a story. People who have been through abuse and all these circumstances, they need to know that he saw me as an overcomer. I I wasn't that person anymore. The Lord changed me from being a victim to becoming an overcomer. And that book was written because I felt sorry for myself my entire life. And self-pity is the worst um, avenue you can walk in because it causes you to make very poor decisions. Self-pity, when you get someone's pity, it's like, Uh, a gushing artery to put a little Band-Aid on a gushing artery. It only helps for a minute. The only thing that really, really helps is stitches in that article, in in that artery. So I learned that self-pity was not the way to go. It was when you realized that you had something to help other people. When you get out of your own self and you find out you can help others, you find out your problems are so much smaller than Mm -hmm. what you thought. Other people have so much worse problems than you ever thought of having. And now it puts your, your, your monsters down, little small monsters. That's not as bad as you thought it was. You have a different perspective on life and you're not a victim anymore. Where can we get the book? Um, the book is at my website, katherinetorres.com. Or it, and Catherine is with a C, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Torres, T-O-R-R-E-Z. Com. I'm a public speaker, and when I come and speak, I, I don't charge people. I take honorariums, but I don't charge people to come 
This is my ministry, and I talk about overcoming tragedies in your life, whether it's abuse or everybody's gone through something tragic. And I use this book. They can buy them there when I'm doing my presentations. I bring them with. Today we've got V sitting here next to me, Courtney, and our guest speaker, Catherine Smith Torres. Now (laughs) I think it's just Catherine Torres. Well, I have a question. So with the... I guess, state of affairs with uh, law enforcement and people's perception. And you, I believe you said chief of Cockrell Hill. Yes. Okay. That was back 2004 to 2008. So would you do it all over again with the current situation of everything going on right now? I would love to be a police chief again for this reason. Number one, I know what true community policing is. I don't just say the words. I know the right programs. I know the way to get through to a community to make them love their police department and to how to manage law enforcement officers to um, know how to meet those needs and to focus on those things rather than all the felony arrests and give them attaboys for things like that. If you focus on, I I want you to go and eat lunch at the, at the school with the kids Mm -hmm. You know, and I'll give I give you attaboys for those kind of things rather than every felony arrest. I mean, those things come along. They're good. But learning how to get those uh, community interactions going is what is so critical. And I learned lots of ways and gave my officers the tools to do it with. Well, in this day and time, in this climate, I would not want to be the patrol officer out on the street because you don't have a lot of ways to to make changes. Mm-hmm. But as the head of the department, you do. You can be the cheerleader for the officers who do have to go out there and help meet their needs so that they can be their very best instead of making poor decisions um, to feel comfortable that they are supported, but also that the community is supported where, where it's more of a family. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so needed nowadays. But And instead of cities looking for the right uh, grit that a police chief would have, they always just look at that college paper. Mm -hmm. What's on paper is not the passion to do the job the way it needs to be done. And they get focused in the wrong area and they get the same old, same old. Right. Because on paper, that's what they think they're going to get. And on paper, a chief can say, oh, yeah, I believe in this community uh, community policing and all that. Those are the models we used here. Just because you say you use a model doesn't mean You've that that's it. what You've you're really through. getting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are you doing now? What's well, after, um, after a bad run <laughs> at running for Dallas County Sheriff, um, and losing the race, uh, to Lupe Valdez, which I know I would have been a great Dallas County Sheriff. Um, but when I lost, I, I had to leave being a police chief. It's just the, the way that things happen. And, um, there for a while I worked as a director of security for the Infomart. That wasn't exactly what I wanted, but then the great layoff came during those years where everybody was getting laid off. So I got laid off and, um, at the time I was dating a man that I met during my campaign named Gil and he had <coughs> gotten his PI license and done anything with it because he had been uh, in the FBI and retired from the FBI, was working for the recording industry of America in their anti-privacy division, 
but he hadn't done anything with this and he didn't know how to market. Well, one of the things a DARE officer learns in our training is how to market your DARE program. So I started thinking of all those things I learned as a cop. And I said, well, he said, if, if you want, why don't you just come work for me and help me get this business off the ground? Man, I took him everywhere, got him going <laughs> because I knew, I mean, we were in those courthouses meeting different attorneys and I knew, I knew exactly how I had to market him. And before you know it, man, we started getting clients left and right and I got his practice going and we dated for three years before he ever asked me to marry him. So at the end of um, two and a half years or no, three years, I, I was getting ready to consider that I may, he may never ask me and I may have to leave him because I'm, I'm, I want to be a married woman. I, I love I love being the wife of a husband and the family. I mean, a lot of men thought I was like the type to wear the pants in the family because I was a police chief, but that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it wasn't the right time for him because of things in his home, but I decided I'm going to start my own practice because I can't guarantee that someone's going to take care of me. I need to know I have to take care of myself. So I opened up Stiletto Spying Company Investigations so that by the name, women would know that it was a woman-owned business. And um, I now do primarily criminal defense work. We also do some spousal and child custody cases where you do the surveillance and stuff like that. Um, We do some accident investigation type uh, work and workers' comp fraud, things like that. But primarily, 85% of the business is um, criminal defense work. And out of the criminal defense work, um, probably over 50% of it is crimes against children. Because I did that in law enforcement. I focused on that in my law enforcement career. Attorneys knew I knew how to do it. And at first, I I felt like I was going to be helping pedophiles become not guilty. (laughs) I didn't, I knew that not everyone who, who accused someone that the person was really guilty but I knew those cases were rare, like 95% of the cases, you know, the child is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. But I really had difficulty working these kind of cases. And it took me many years to finally understand that the investigator's job isn't to necessarily be on someone's side. My job is to investigate every aspect to find the truth mm-hmm. as much as I can possibly find And I give that information to his attorney to do what they need to do for his case, how to best advise him, which a lot of times when I find out that they're really guilty, it's to advise that client to take a plea. But at the very least, my job is to turn every possible stone that can be turned, because if I don't, then that person, if they're guilty, has the right of appeal to put that family back through this horrible thing all over again. So if I do my job right, if they're really guilty, they stay guilty. And if they're not guilty, I'm bringing all the evidence to prove that they're not guilty. I've had several horrendous cases where someone is not guilty. And these accusations to falsely accuse someone that they sexually assaulted a child is the worst thing you can do to somebody because even if they are found not guilty, their life is over. Because of public opinion, they'll just think, oh, they must have just had a good attorney and they they lose family. They lose friends. They lose business con- connections. Most everyone who is accused will lose their job mm-hmm. um, or they are not allowed to practice if they are a licensed uh, occupation. 
um, because the courts tell them they can't be around children. And I'll give you one brief example. Uh, There was a wily dentist named Dr. Pearson who was falsely accused by his daughter that the mother put the daughter up to saying that he touched her because she was angry that she no longer had her her hands in the practice's finances. The doctor never made her leave the finances alone because, you know, he didn't really stand up to her. He still loved her. Well, finally, his CPA's like screaming, get her out of the money. And finally, he remarries. And that woman says, I'll help you get her hands out of the money. I'll just tell her to stop. Well, when he did, she came with an onslaught of all kinds of accusations of insurance fraud, Medicaid fraud, this and that. And she got a voodoo doctor to try and put spells against him so that they would break up so that she'd get her hands back on the money. When all the things failed, she had her daughter falsely accuse him. Wow. He lost being able to practice for several months. I'm also a security consultant, so I helped to do an appraisal of his office to know how to help him to get back into practice. Thankfully, he was found not guilty because he really was, and I found all the lies, found witnesses to all the lies and all the all the things that this woman planned to do to get to get back at him. But this man still suffers from PTSD to this day. He lost his home. His children's relationship mm-hmm. is totally severed. And it's it's just the most unimaginable thing someone can do to someone. When people are on juries, they need to know that there are children who falsely accuse. When young men are or men are around other women and they're alone with them, they need to know that they can be falsely accused and they need to be careful to never leave themselves in positions where they can be accused because our Constitution says you're guilt, you're innocent until proven guilty. But in these cases, you are guilty until you are proven innocent because people, jurors cannot believe you would ever falsely accuse someone of something like that Catherine, can imagine and I, I need to ask you a real quick question before we leave you before we leave our show tonight how can a person find you if they want to hire you i have a website called stiletto spy investigations.com so stiletto is one l two t's stiletto spy like i spy with my little eye stiletto spy investigations with an s on the end dot com um, that's how you can get in touch with me or go to katherinetorres.com and they can contact me for public speaking to help them on their case, um, to get a book. I've since also written another book called Unburied Treasure. It's a guide to leaving your legacy because many people uh, die without people having all the stories of their life. And this is a way to write their life story without even having to think about it because all the topics are there for them. So those are the books that I've written, and uh, I have written many articles in my field of private investigative work that I've done. So I'm now published in in different magazines, and that's a good feeling. I feel like I've done something. Well, and you can also find all the information on our website, on our Facebook page, right, Courtney? What's Mm -hmm. our Facebook page? Alexander and Friends 660 on Facebook. Catherine, what would you say to a child who has been adopted and has gone through everything that you have gone what do you say to the child later on in the years and they have failed because of lack of love or what's the strength that you had? Was it, well, how did you get to where you are today? Just Well, I kept looking for these answers and no one had these answers and that's why I had a lot of failures. But I want to tell this kid, 
that just because things happen to you in your life, don't run from what the past was. Turn it around. Use those things to turn it around and help other people. When you start helping other people, you suddenly realize that things are not near as bad as what you thought it was and never let other things keep you back. You have to focus on what you want and do everything you can, turn every stone you can, get all the help that you can to be able to go towards a goal of things that where you can use your past to help others overcome things they're going through. And I think this would resonate not with kids, but maybe some adults that have had a roller coaster of a life and need some inspiration. I think that you have an amazing story and I appreciate you sharing it with us. Um, it makes you want to search inside to see what you can do better every day. And so I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're listening to Alexander and Friends. Check us out on Facebook, Alexander and Friends 660. We're going to go ahead and post Catherine's information there, stilettospyinvestigations.com. Post her link if you need to reach out to her. You can also find links to her book. And we're leaving with uh, one big thing that Miller Title is our sponsor. Yes. And we appreciate Roberto Perez so much to allow us to bring these stories to you to at your home or your phone or your radio and we thank you for listening to alexander and friends every saturday night at 10 p.m have a good evening you've been listening to alexandra and friends the podcast reach out to us on facebook at alexandra and friends or write us an email alexandra and friends 660 at gmail.com be sure to mark us as one of your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode